Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. text this morning, of course, as I've said already, we are returning to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and here uh, we find words uttered from the lips of the Lord Jesus as He uh, has, in chapter number 9, already sent out His 12 apostles on a uh, missionary work, a missionary journey, if you will, into the city of, into the cities of Galilee and the areas of uh, Galilee, and now He has, in chapter number 10, added to their number of early missionaries, if I can put it that way, uh, 70 other followers of his that we have called throughout church history as the 70 disciples. Uh, these here are followers of the Lord that are not the 12 apostles, but are followers of the Lord and his teaching and uh, are those who are committed to serving him during the days of his ministry. He commissions them uh, to go out into what he calls every city and place in verse number one, whether he himself would come. Their ministry was a preparatory ministry. Uh, their ministry was one in which Jesus was going to come behind and minister in the cities of Judea, and they were to go before as forerunners and begin to share the message and begin to prepare the way for the Lord's arrival and the teaching that he would give when he arrives there. And so we've noticed as we, uh, in this series of messages, uh, the a couple of words keep popping up in the early part of this chapter and uh, in reference to these 70 disciples and that word is the word sent or the word send. In verse number 1 the Bible said after these things the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. In verse 2 Jesus said therefore said he unto them the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And then in verse number three, he says, Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. And so in this passage, we find individuals that the Lord has personally sent to do a work for him. And in it, as I have already submitted to you, I believe we find some truth. Uh, that you and I can apply to our lives that as Christ has saved us by His grace as believers, saved us by His blood, it is His will that we do a work for Him and serve Him during the days of our life. And so therefore God has sent all of those that He has saved to spread the gospel, to do the work of the ministry, uh, to go into the highways and hedges to compel people to come to Christ, to tell people that Jesus saves and that there is a Savior that died on Calvary's cross, was physically buried, physically rose from the dead, victorious over death, hell in the grave, amen, died for their offenses, was raised again for their justification so that they could call on 
on Him as Lord and receive Him into their heart and be made a new creature in Christ. That is what we have been sent to do. Here in this verse, we find these verses, we find the story of the sent. Those who have been sent by God and their story according to the Lord. And so we see application to our lives there. We've talked about in this passage the plan of the sent. <coughs> verse number 1. And verse number uh, 2 and verse number 9 and 10 tells us a little bit about, about that plan, about how the Lord tells us uh, about him being, the, uh, him, being the, uh, him being the master of the plan, Him giving us the means of the plan. He wants to use individuals to accomplish His plan. Uh, he wants to send us to be, uh, be agents of healing in a world that's hurting. He wants to send us to be uh, those that herald His truth and then... Uh, we see the measure of it that he talks about every city and that alludes to us about the expansive reach of the Lord's ministry to a lost and dying world. Amen. There is no one and no city and no person and no ethnicity and no whatever category you'd put to divide humanity that the Lord puts in the scenario at all that would exempt anyone from being able to receive his salvation, being able to be ministered to by the God of heaven in their lives. So we see that. And then this past Wednesday night we began very briefly uh, to give you the second thought about this story, what I'm calling the story of the sin or those who have been sent. We've talked about the plan that the Lord gives, His, uh, His plan for reaching the world and reaching others for His cause. But then number two, we begin to see the perspective of the sin. What kind of perspective does the Lord want you and I to have as we go out beyond the walls of our churches? I, 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 I told our Sunday school class this: the uh, the young the the the, the, the young the, the younger teen and uh, and uh, older children's class that I teach. I've told them it's really easy to be a Christian in church. It's really easy to live the Christian life within the walls of this sanctuary and of this place. But what kind of perspective, according to our text, does the Lord tell us that those that he is sending, that he is saved and is sending uh, to do a work for him, what kind of perspective does he want us to have as we leave the walls of our churches and minister beyond our church walls to those who are on the outside and need to be ministered to? The first thing we see is that he tells us that we are to keep our eyes on a certainty that stands. Notice verse number 2. He says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great. I alluded to that on Wednesday night. The greatness of this harvest. It means many or much or large or great in magnitude or quantity. Here the Bible says that there is a great, amen, harvest that needs to be worked in. There is a, there, and by the way, a, when you think about a harvest, I don't know about you, but I think of great opportunities. Yes, sir. I understand when you put seed in the ground, there is a possibility that you're not going to get all of those seeds back. That there's not always going to be germination from that. 
But I will tell you this, when you put seed in the ground, you know what that is? If it's watered right and treated right, amen, and there's enough of the sunlight, can I get an amen there? Amen. There can be a harvest. There is opportunity for great things to come forth when you put seed in the ground. Amen. Here the Lord said that the harvest truly is great. Amen. There is great opportunity in the world. Amen. For people to go and to plant seeds and people to share the gospel to see that germinate into new life. Amen. In Christ. Amen. The harvest is truly is great. And no doubt the Lord has, has got a great harvest in days gone by. But that just still, uh, the, the, the idea behind this word great is not only is it great in Jesus' day, but as long as there's still people, the harvest still is, is so great that it's still great today. There's souls that were won then. There's souls that have been saved in days gone by. But there's still plenty of lost souls to reach. There's still plenty of people to disciple. There's still plenty of things that need to be done for God's glory, even in the day that we're living in. Amen. The harvest truly is great. That is a certainty that no doubt is standing today as a reality before all of us. But then here's another certainty that stands. Sadly, if we said the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are great, we could rejoice in that. But that's not what Jesus said. He said the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. He puts a contrast there. The reason why the harvest and the the need for opportunity to be taken advantage of is still great is because there are fewer laborers than there's ever been. The laborers are few. The laborers are not great. The Lord gives us this striking contrast before these 70 disciples, no doubt to encourage them as they are being sent into the Lord's spiritual harvest field to take advantage of opportunity to see people come to Him. They're reminding them of the task and the immensity of the task, but also of the urgency of their position in fulfilling the task. If the laborers are few and Christ is calling these individuals to labor for him, you know what that means? It means that the Lord needs them to be faithful. The Lord needs them to not quit, to not give up, to go forward, and to not let anything distract them in their journey. We'll see even as we progress through this passage that the Lord even explains a little bit about his deterrence toward distractions in this passage. There is a certainty that stands. The problem, as we have said, is not in the field, but it is in the fold. The problem is not in the word of our message, but the problem is in the workers. Jesus here, and I'm not, I'm not trying on a Sunday morning to be a negative, negative Nelly. I'm not trying to do that. If you want to blame somebody for the negativity of what I'm preaching, blame Jesus. He didn't lie to us and say, uh, he didn't say that the harvest truly is great, but I'm thankful for anybody that'll just try to help along the way. He didn't tell us that. That's what the world would want us to say. Well, you should just be thankful for just a little bit of help that you get. But the Lord's not that way. He reminds us of the great need for laborers. And I would would ask this question. We know it's not the message. That's the problem. Jesus said that the laborers are few, so therefore the problem is in the fact that there's not more people signing up to be laborers. That's 
Is that not what he's saying? To labor, and I, under, and, I, and I know I talked about some things earlier where we can use help in, in the church and different ministries there. Hey Amen. There's always stuff to volunteer for in the church, always work to be done. But uh, like, I said, like I said, introducing some of this on Wednesday night, I've been in this message a long time, several weeks now, before we ever had stuff to volunteer for. Yes. I'm not just simply talking about trying to implore you to do church work. I'm trying to encourage some Christians to be Christians. You know what being a Christian means? It means getting involved in God's harvest. Right. It, the harvest is primarily in the context souls being reached with the gospel. Fewer people today are wanting to, re, are wanting, are wanting to have anything to do with telling somebody that Jesus saves than they ever have before. Even in the church. We have less soul winners in the church than we've ever had. I'm, I'll go ahead and let one of my plans out of the bag for this coming year. And, and I hope we'll have some, talking about being a part of the harvest, I hope we'll have some more encouragement. We'll have, some, we'll have some, some encouragement in this. But I was approached recently by Dr. David Wood, one of our missionaries. And out of all of the churches, Brother Tommy, that he said that God put on his heart to do a soul winning seminar. Hundreds of churches, thousands of seat auditoriums, he does them in every year. He said, Preacher, God told me that God told me to ask you if I can do one at Beacon. He said, I feel like Beacon has the right heart for a seminar. He said, I came back in August and he said, I felt this was the place. He said, if you, if you, if you are on board with that, I'd love to use your auditorium. He said, we'll, I'll promote it. I will we'll bring in other pastors to train in it. I'll do all the legwork. You provide the facilities. But I feel like that's the spirit in your church is the spirit I want for this meeting. And I told him, I said, preacher, if God's in it, I'm in it. But, you know, we had the, in 2020, we had the online seminar and we had just a handful of people here. Going to train to be soul winners. Not everybody in the church is a soul winner. And some of the reason for that is that some people just don't know what, what, uh, how to confront somebody about their spiritual condition. Then why not come on board and let someone who is, 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 is great and talking to people share with us just, if I can put it in country terms, some tricks of the trade. Yes. Not that we're tricking anybody into getting saved. Y'all understand what I'm saying. But some, if I, uh, I guess let me back up and say some, some pieces of advice from experience, years of experience of dealing with people of all kinds and some encouragements to be able to help people come to the place where they consider, you know, I, I don't know if I am going to heaven or not. Not in a way of being brash or rude, but as a gentleman, as a lady, being concerned about others to say, if you were to die today, do you know that you're going to be with the Lord in heaven? I care enough about you to where I'm thankful for you to be, to have a conversation, to be able to have a time together and enjoy fellowship together. But if we enjoy this moment and we don't have any more moments together, it's all in vain. If there's no eternity to come in heaven for you with the redeemed, there's no point in it. Right. I care enough about you to say, I believe in hell and I don't want you to go there. Yes. The harvest is great. Yes. But those that sign up and say, you know what, I want to labor in God's harvest, it's few. That's not my words. That's what Jesus said. So here, I, I asked myself the question, I said, why could it be that there are so few 
laborers in God's harvest. You say if you you see if you agree with me this morning, I believe in churches. One of the reasons why there could be so few laborers in God's harvest field is because I believe we overvalue how many of our people in our Baptist churches are even Christians to start with. You listen to all the old preachers of the past. I believe, uh, I, 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 I believe J. Harold Smith said that he believed in the churches that he was in way back when he was in them back in the 70s. I believe he made the statement. He said he believed that 75% of church members were lost, had never been saved. I believe Dr. Billy Graham with the Southern Baptist Church has actually put it higher than, than J. Harold Smith did. Some, I think Billy Graham said he believed that 90% of church members were lost. And we wonder, why is there no burden for souls in our churches? And I'm not saying that's the way that it is here. I'm just telling you what those men of God said that were in churches all over the world and ministered to people all over the world. They said that was their opinion from the people they came in contact with. I think we do undervalue how many people in our churches truly do know the Lord or not. It could be the reason why people aren't wanting to labor in God's harvest field is because they're simply lost. They're not saved to start with. It could be also, if you agree with that, say amen. Yes, but it, I, I believe it also could be because there's some people that are saved, but they're not lost, but they are a long way from God. There's no burden. They're cold because their, their heart is not close to the Lord the way it used to be. They're backslid. They're distant. Their hearts are cold. It's not on fire for God. And it's not burning with the desire to reach a lost world for Christ. Yes, sir. It could be because they're lost. Yes, it could be because there's people in our churches that are a long way from God. It could be this. And I thought about this and added it to my list this morning. It could be because they're laying hold on fear. You know, one of the greatest deterrents in telling anybody about Jesus sharing Christ with anyone, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not just being lost. There's good, there's good Christians that I know are saved that have never told anybody about the Lord. They've never personally sat down and shared Christ with anybody. They've never won anybody to Christ. They've heard thousands of messages, but have never presented the gospel to one person. They're saved. I would even say they love Jesus. They love reading their Bible. They love praying. But fear has laid hold upon them, has gripped them to where they're never, they've never been able to take that step out of their comfort zone yet. I talked to our class in the last two last couple of lessons that we had with them, comparing the church at Jerusalem in the book of Acts and the church at Antioch. The difference in the two is the church at Jerusalem stayed close by Jerusalem, and they only ministered to people that looked like them, talked like them, and acted like them, the Jews. The church in Antioch branched out, and the reason why they did is because they did not let fear or their, their, their own comfort zone stop them from going out and doing work, work for the Lord. And the Bible said because of that, the Word of God grew and prevailed. That's what happens when we lay, we lay fear aside and we let God give us boldness and confidence to do a work for Him. By the way, let me remind you, if you're gripped by fear this morning, and I mean, y'all look at me this morning. Everybody look at me. You're not looking at a preacher that is ever going to browbeat you for being fearful. You know why? I know what it is to be afraid. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know what it is to be fearful. I remember, and I, I'm, not, I'm not an old man by any means, but I remember the first time I ever stood on somebody's doorstep to knock on their door by myself. I was 14 years old. I remember as a 14-year-old boy having dogs 
Now, beasts, board, I mean, these, board, these are not dogs, Brother Gary. Not, not little chihuahuas. These were dogs. I mean, burly beasts. I'm coming up the driveway. Guy sees me on the porch. I wave at him. Said, I'm from so-and-so Baptist church. I want, to come, I want to come and tell you about Jesus. He said, you're going to get off of my property. And opened up his doors and literally, vocally, sicked his dog on a 14-year-old boy. Two of them. You want to talk about being afraid? I was a little bit smaller then. <laughs> and because of that, Brother Daniel, I zipped out of that driveway. Amen. I don't think I'd be any slower today if those dogs were turned after me. Y'all would see this preacher be gone. Cowboy boots, suit and tie and all. I mean, I was gone out of that driveway. It was fearful. Yes, yes. You know what can also be fearful? Not just stuff like, and I've had every, I've had on doorsteps, I've had everything that you can imagine. I've had people come to the door drunk. I've had people come to the door unclothed, completely unclothed. I've had people come to the door smoking things and all kinds of stuff completely out of their head. And I tried to tell them about Jesus, tried to put something in their hands. Some of them accepted it, some of them accepted it, some of them didn't. I've had everything, Brother Cody, I've had everything happen to me, you can imagine, on somebody's doorstep. And those things are fearful. But you want to know something that probably strikes fear in me every time I come to a door? It's just simply, who am I going to hear on the other side? You don't know whose door that is. You don't know who's on the other side. And just... This person may be just a little lovely Christian lady that is going to say, thank you for witnessing today. Or this could be somebody that absolutely despises the gospel. Right. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're young or old. You knock on that door. You don't know which person you're going to get. And there is fear in that. When you are at a restaurant and you lay down your track or you offer it to your server, you don't know how it's going to be received. And the fear of the unknown is probably one of the greatest fears we have. And I'm telling you, that, that, that fear can lay hold upon all of us. But we know what the Bible says. The Bible says fear does not come from the Lord. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He is no fear does not come from God. If it don't come from God, we know who it comes from. And so God has told us to put it aside. And God says, if you'll go, I'll, I'll give you in the power of the Holy Spirit courage and boldness to do my work for you. That's what the Bible says about the apostles in the book of Acts, that God gave them boldness to be witnesses of Christ. Amen. That's what we need. Fear keeps us laying hold. Hold on, fear will keep us from being labors for the Lord. And simply, I could say this as well, and I know this isn't going to be fun preaching on a Sunday morning, and y'all y'all can, can be rest assured in the fact I'm not going to be much longer. But I will say this. It's not that they're lost. It's not that they're just simply backslid. It's not even that they're fearful. I've met plenty of Christians that they're just simply lazy. They've got their four no more. They're not interested in anybody else. Yes, sir. They come to church and they're satisfied with that. 
They don't want to add any more to their day. They don't want to add any more to their to to, to their daily tasks. I, I read one place where a, a, a writer a writer had this to say. Uh, one uh, one individual said, uh, "Let's see here. I had it written down somewhere. Amen. Here it is. Amen. Y'all have as many notes as I had. You'd find some stuff too. Here's what the quote says." And I've been adding to this for weeks, so it's all over the place. Here's what the quote said. This, this got a hold of me. One writer said this. He said, the most serious, you're talking about, he said, preacher, I'm not lazy. He said, this is, he said, this is the most serious form of laziness, is being busy with things that don't matter. You can be lazy toward things that do matter while being very busy on things that really, when it comes to eternity, don't matter at all. Amen. Y'all stay with me this morning. There's a lot of things. Y'all listen to me this morning. There's a lot of things that we spend all of our time about, all of our time doing, all of our time giving ourselves to, that when it comes to eternity, makes no difference. It won't change eternity. It won't meet us in eternity. And I'm not saying get rid of all those things. We can't. There are some things we have to engage ourselves in in life that are just part of life that are not eternal matters. They're just day-to-day -day physical life matters. Amen. Because you can make you can make you can make a case for well, preacher said don't don't do anything but stuff that will meet you in eternity. Well, I'm just not going to go to work tomorrow morning. Well, I've already preached Wednesday night. You don't work, you don't eat. That's a daily matter. What you're doing on that job, unless you're being a soul winner on that job, amen, you just working the machines or whatever. I don't know exactly what your job entailed, Brother Gary. Were you on a press or something like that? Or what were you? What? Mostly I ran the control room. Okay, well, control room. You running those controls, that's not ushering people into the kingdom, unless you're telling people about Jesus while you're in there. But you know what it did? It fed your family. It kept you alive to where you could live to tell somebody about Jesus. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Not everything we do in life is going to have a direct stamp in eternity. But if you're doing those things that will not matter in eternity but matter today, you better make sure you pair those things up with stuff that will matter in eternity. Amen. Y'all picking up what I'm laying down this morning? Amen. Amen. We've got to, we have, in our churches today, we have folks that are so filled with laziness, disconcern, indifference when it comes to spiritual things. One author said that indifference and laziness in our spiritual life is among the devil's chiefest tools against Christians. You know, you can be, as I've said, you can be a hard worker physically, but when it comes to spiritually, there's no movement in your spiritual life at all. You can be lazy spiritually and be a hardworking person physically. And notice that as I read that quote, it was indifference and laziness in our spiritual life. That the devil uses against Christians. Just the, just the being comfortable and not wanting to move and not wanting to do more. If you can get, if you can get it set in your ways anywhere in this world, you can do it at church. Amen. If, you, if, if there's anywhere on the planet, you can, say, you can get set in your ways real easy. It, it's at church. That's right, Rick. Because... And I said this before, and I know with this crowd, it's probably a broken record by now. But you know, the most, the, the, the easiest thing you can do in your spiritual life is attend church. Yes, sir. Right. It's easier than reading your Bible. That's right. Oh, yeah. Say, preacher, I'm a good reader. Well, you know what I'm better at than reading? Sitting. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. 
It, you know, it takes less effort to sit than to read. For you to attend church, you, I understand the, the hardest part is the getting here. Once you get here, that's the easy part. You sit and listen. Hey, you mamas, you beat kids, and I understand all that. We do the same. My wife moved up front so she could have our kids in check. I understand that. Don't worry about kids. You beat them if you need to. You take them to the back. You take them outside if you need to. We'll ignore their screams. Okay? What? I'm just kidding. Amen. We're not promoting child abuse. Okay. I'm Josh Lawson. I approve this man. Brother Dean was Josh Lawson all week. I guess I should take my shot at it. I've been in for 28 years. Uh, anyway. That's an inside joke. <laughs> oh, boy. But the easiest thing I do spiritually is come to church. Now, being a dad of small children, I do have to deal with the issues to get here. All of you parents understand that. Getting clothes on folks and getting them out the door and trying to do it on time and feeding babies bottles and all of that, I understand the issues getting here. But when you get here, your one responsibility is to sit and pay attention. That's easier than reading my Bible. That's much easier than praying. If you want to talk about something difficult, you go and try to actually spend quality time with the Lord. That'd be one of the most difficult tasks you'll do this week. I'm not talking about it as I lay me down to sleep. I'm not talking about Lord bless this food to our body. I'm talking about actually spent trying to spend some time, quality time with the Lord. It'll be one of the hardest tasks you endeavor to do this week. Right. You know why? I believe it's one of the most fault tasks you'll do during the week. Yeah. I've heard it said before that the devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. Because the devil's not concerned with how weak we are. The devil is concerned with how strong he is. Amen. And when you get him involved Amen. in the situation... That puts the devil in check. That's right. He's not, the devil's not worried about me, Brother Lewis. I wish, he was, I wish he was more scared of me. I really do. But I don't think the devil worries about me as much. I know, but, but I know he, he worries about him a whole lot. He knows what he can do. That's right. So when it comes to something as simple as coming in, sitting in church, being faithful to that simple part of our Christian life, it's really easy to get comfortable and to get set in our ways to where when we come in, we're not looking for people to reach out to. We're not, we don't have our eyes on trying to be a minister while we're here. We find our place, we sit down, we get ready to sit and listen because we know when we come to church, we sit and we listen. But do you realize that you'll never be able to labor for God out there until you've learned how to labor for God in here? Why does God give us a local New Testament church? Why is church so important? If for no other reason it equips you and I, we get fed by the Scriptures, but then we also find a place of ministry that trains us and gets us ready to go out there and to serve God in a greater way. I told our, I told our young people this morning in class, uh, I, I told them, even them at their age, they can do a little bit in the church's ministry here. They're not going to drive. They're not going to drive a vehicle and go pick people up. They're not going. They're not old enough. Many of them. My class is eight and above. They're not old enough to do that yet. Some of them are. Why it can? But other than that, they're not doing that yet. They're not. They're not. I'm not going to put. The, I'm not going to put them on the platform to preach. God hasn't called any of them to do that. I'm not going to put them on a doorstep by themselves. 
I told them we don't want anybody pulling them in to their house or any other kind of issues. We want them to be safe. There's some things they can't do yet. There's some things they'll not be able to do by themselves. There's some things I don't even let adults do by themselves. I believe there's a reason why Jesus says two and two here. Right, right. And part of that is these people are going to be ministering in some dangerous places. And it'd probably be a good idea to make sure they get to their destination. It'd be a good idea to make sure they didn't go by themselves. Lest they end up like the Samaritan on the side of the road in the Good Samaritan story. That, that man left by the ditch. He was by himself and was left to die. Had to have somebody come along and help him. I, that, that's another message for another day. But that's what happens when you go by yourself. Jesus puts safeguards against things like that. And I, I believe in following those. But we can get so settled in our little bit that we're doing for the Lord. We come in, we sit, that's all we expect. But I believe God expects us to have a ministry within these walls. You know what I can do as a Christian? And I, I've kind of got off of, the, I've got off of the subject a little bit to talk a little bit about church laboring within these walls. Tonight we'll get out a little bit and to talk about what Christ says about our perspective for there. But if we're going to start, we've got to start in here. And if we've got to start in here, one of the first things, I remember I'm preaching on perspective. God wants you to not only have perspective out there, He wants you to have perspective in here. Right. When we, when we have folks, and I know we've got some visitors here this morning, when we have folks that come in and visit, do you come and sit in your seat and never speak to them? Never identify that there's people that are here that's not normally here? If you see someone come in, they don't have a Bible, do you recognize that? We've got Bibles to give away. How pers how, how, what, how's your perspective? How visual are you about the needs of others? How concerned about you are those? We, we're, not, we're not here to just take up offerings from folks who come in. This is not a business. Right. Amen. This is a ministry. Right. This is a church. We're to represent Jesus in, in, in this place. When people come in, are we able to recognize needs? Do we talk to people and even see if they have a need? There will be a lot of times there will be people that come in that have needs that you'll never be able to look them up and down by the way they're dressed or even look at their personality by the way they act and tell they have any needs at all. But if you talk to them, you might be able to tell that there is one. If you, show time, if you take time to love and care for those that God gives us to minister to, whether that be our members and our other fellow brethren in here or visitors that come in, maybe possibly making this a church home for them, whatever the case may be. How's our perspective? Because if you're not concerned about, Jesus said, if we're not, can, we're not concerned about those we can see, how can we uh, be concerned about things we can't see? I think there's the same principle applied to the church. If we can't be concerned with those that we go to church with every day, how in the world can we expect to be concerned about those that we may see once in a lifetime? That's right. Amen. Let's let God give us the right perspective. I don't want to, I've preached, I've preached long enough this morning. I don't want to get further into this. I'm just trying to, I'm, for some reason, I'll be honest with you, church. For some reason, the Lord has zeroed me in on this particular point. I just barely introduced it to you in about 30 minutes on Wednesday night. Got about three lines into my message. And then I felt the Lord was done with that part of it. Got just a few more lines down this morning, just a few thoughts down this morning. And I feel like the Lord has taken these thoughts and ministering to our hearts. One of my biggest goals for this new year that we have coming up, I understand 2020 put a lot of things on hold. I understand that. I understand our door knocking has all but ceased because of the different responses to this virus. 
And I don't want to put it, I, I, I'm, I'm at the point to where if I have to go in a hazmat suit, I'm willing to do it to tell somebody. I mean that with all of my heart. Amen. I hope you would feel the same way. Amen. Amen. Maybe not Brother Gary. He's still trying to get stuff. I don't want him having to walk great distances and all that. But he's, amen. he's still trying to get his strength back from his bout with COVID. But I'm, church, I, I'm just going to bear my heart out. I'm ready to get out in the highways and hedges again. I'm ready to go tell people about the Lord. I'm ready to start inviting our community to come. I'm ready to start telling people that, that, that this thing's drawing close to an end. We need to make sure whether we're headed to the right place or not. Well, it's time to start loving our community. Time to start letting them know we're here. Time to start letting people know we care, we're concerned. We're not, like I said, we're not, we're not just another church after your money, after your presence. We want to bless, want to be a blessing. We want to minister. We want to see people grow in their faith, have a real, vibrant relationship with the Lord. That's what I want to see. And God's put it heavy on my heart and put things in my heart to see that vision accomplished for God's glory. And yes, I'm going to need your help. My family's going to need your help. We're going to have to get in this thing together. But I know God's going to grow our church. I know God's going to bless our church. And more importantly than all of that, I truly believe that there are going to be many, many souls that come to know Christ as Savior. When a church, as, I, as this, has been my, this has been my lesson to our teens the last two classes, Church at Jerusalem stopped halfway, and they only saw partial blessings. Church, that's where we have been in this period of COVID-19. We've got to be careful. We've got to, we've got to, that is still real. People are still getting sick. We've had a ton of people in our church get sick. Thank God everybody's doing better today, doing well. But we've experienced the reality of it. But if you only go so far, we'll do what the church of Jerusalem did. And God had to send them out by persecution to get them to reach others. Because they were saying, we're not going. We're not doing this. We're not going this far. And God had to say, if you won't go willingly, I'll make you go unwillingly. That's right. Sent persecution, scattered them out. And then God didn't use the church of Jerusalem. God used the church at Antioch. Yep. To see the hordes of people come to know the Lord as Savior. When it came, when it came to Paul, the great apostle Paul having a home church where his ministry was sent out, sent out of, it wasn't the infamous church in Jerusalem he was sent out of. He was sent out of the church at Antioch. The church that said, I'm not going halfway. We're going to go all the way with God. And that's what I want. That's what I want for our church. That is the, I mean, and I mean it, the intense burden that God's put on your pastor's heart for our church. Let's go forward. Let's let God help us. And let's go as far as He wants us to go until He comes back and gets us. God has sent us to do a work for Him. He has saved us and He sent us to do a work for Him. Let's get busy doing it. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh, yeah.